from News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from the California Emerging Technology Fund, leaders in the quest for digital equity. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Fresno State Associated Students, Inc. Students serving students. BNSF Railway, moving our economy for 160 years. And the wonderful company. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant and E&J Gallo Winery as well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins & Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the Maddie Institute, the Public Policy Institute for the Valley's four public universities, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. In March 2020, the government ordered businesses closed in response to the COVID-19 pandemic that left millions of Californians unemployed and in critical need of unemployment compensation for, to pay for essential things such as food and housing. That led to an historically high number of claims with the state's Employment Development Department, EDD, the agency that administers the state's unemployment compensation system. Recently, the state auditor uh, took a look at the state response to the claim surge and found it more than a little lacking. Our guest is Elaine Howe, California State Auditor. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Pleasure to be here. Good to see you. So um, let's get right into it. You state in your report that, quote, significant weaknesses in EDD's claims processing and workload management leave it at risk of a continuing backlog of claims, unquote. Can you explain? Sure. Um, as you know, and I'm sure many of your viewers know, we've audited EDD in the past, and we ED has consistently struggled historically to process unemployment claims timely. Uh, typically, they're expected to get uh, benefits out within at least 14 days, or maybe a 21-day window. But what we saw when we audited them this last year is they hadn't heeded some of the suggestions that we made years ago, 10 years ago, to come up with a recession plan to make sure that they had a plan in place to be able to deal with the next recession. Certainly, the pandemic is unprecedented, but they have really struggled in processing claims, getting benefits out to unemployed Californians. They also are really struggling with their call center. People are having difficulty getting through the call center to even talk to a person to try to get help. You know, you also report that, quote, because EDD responded to the claim surge by suspending certain eligibility requirements, many Californians are at risk of the need to repay the benefits, uh, unquote. What actions did the EDD take that caused these problems? Right. EDD did two key things. First, they suspended the eligibility determination. So typically when you file an unemployment uh, claim, uh, EDD will go through a process to determine whether you're eligible for unemployment. Have you earned enough wages in the past uh, to be eligible for unemployment? They waive those requirements. So there are millions of claimants out there who didn't have to uh, submit the materials or they submitted the materials and EDD just didn't check their eligibility and went ahead and approved the benefits. Now, as the federal government became aware of this last fall, 
yeah, U.S. Department of Labor said, EDD, you can't do that. You can't just suspend eligibility. You have to determine whether people are eligible. Now EDD has to go back, and it's about 2.4 million claimants that we identified uh, as where their eligibility determination had been suspended. So some of those individuals may be deemed ineligible for the benefits they received, and now EDD may ask them to pay the money back. Oh, boy. And apparently some of these people probably were trying to call, use the call center. And as you indicated, there were some problems with the call center. Right. There were significant problems. They've historically had problems with the call center. Uh, in the past, when we've audited them, you know, maybe 15, 20 percent of people are able to get through to a human being and, and talk to someone to get their questions answered. During the pandemic and during the huge surge of unemployment claims, huge surge of calls into the call center, it went down to less than one percent. And then even after the governor uh, strike team went in, they added about, you know, three or 4,000 additional people to help with the call center, This the performance was still really poor uh, because you had tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of calls coming in and the call center, the folks just could not handle that volume. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds like though from your report that EDD's been here before. I mean, during the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, didn't they experience many of the same problems yet nothing? Right, and, and exactly. Uh, we, we issued a report in March of 2011, and we identified processing problems, process, problems with their claims processing system, problems with their call center. And so what we suggested back in 2011 is, you know, we just came out of a recession or we're exiting a recession. Recessions typically occur every five or six years. You've got to have a recession plan in place. You've got to update some of your automation as far as being able to automate claims. They were handling a lot of claims manually, and it just takes too long to do that. So what are your, some of your recommendations? Uh, some of our recommendations, similar to what we made in the past, but we have specific timelines on the recommendations this time. We're suggesting to EDD that you've got to figure out what elements of your process you can continue to automate. Now, one thing they did that has been very positive is they implemented ID Meet, which is an automated electronic way of verifying someone's identity. Uh, so that has really helped with their ability to process claims. But again, they still have that other workload that they suspended uh, eligibility determinations months ago. So they're going to have to go back and figure out how they're going to handle all of the different workload that they have. They have these suspended eligibility claims. They have more people filing for unemployment. They have a backlog of claims. So there's a lot that, that EDD needs to do. You know, it's it's unfortunately, in addition to EDD's poor performance in, in uh, making valid claims, not getting valid claims paid, Apparently, they've also had a, a staggering number of potentially fraudulent claims being paid. Um, so we're going to have that conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Since the surge in pandemic-related California unemployment claims, there have been many reported cases of potential and actual fraud. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe about a blockbuster report her office issued about the mismanagement of the state's unemployment compensation system that could cost the state billions of dollars. So in your report, you state that, quote, EDD's fraud prevention approach during the pandemic uh, was marked by significant missteps and inaction, unquote. Can you explain? Sure. Uh, there were a couple of key issues that we identified as far as inaction. I mean, obviously, the pandemic hit us in February and March, and everything started closing down in March, and there was a huge surge, and unfortunately, people in California unemployed, so a huge surge in claims coming into EDD. 
Well, it wasn't until July that they put a, a control in place where uh, it would kick out certain suspicious claims, someone whose identity they weren't able to determine. Again, we talked about eligibility determinations being suspended, but once they put that control back in place, there were a lot of claims now that were starting to get kicked out, but they had already paid out a bunch of benefits. The second issue that they did not do is uh, suspicious addresses. As we've seen in the news, there have been numerous situations where 10, 20, 30 envelopes going to an address uh, where no one at that address filed for unemployment. Uh, EDD didn't put any control in place related to that until September. But when we conducted audit work, we found in December they were still paying out claims to some of these suspicious addresses. So they failed to put the proper controls in place. And unfortunately, that equates to uh, fraudulent payments going out. Yeah, you also note in your report that, quote, EDD's lack of preparation left it unable to effectively address two high-profile situations, unquote. What preparation should have occurred? And can you tell us a little about those two high-profile situations? Sure. One of the high-profile situations is the frozen accounts, as as I'm sure your, your viewers are aware that Bank of America puts out benefit cards for unemployment uh, claimants. That's how they get their benefits. They receive a card. Well, there were some suspicious claims uh, that Bank of America brought to EDD's attention. EDD told them to freeze the accounts. EDD did not have a plan to determine of the 344,000 accounts that it told B of A to freeze, how many of those potentially, what would the plan be to review those claims to determine are there legitimate claimants in there and let's release, let's unfreeze those accounts. So they didn't have a plan in place to address how they were gonna work with the B of A and some unfortunately legitimate claimants got caught up in that. The second issue is cross-matching against incarceration data. Uh, similarly to uh, what the DAs have talked about is uh, once EDD put a cross-matching in place where they're matching a claim against an individual who's incarcerated either at a local jail or either in another state or at a state correctional institution, they found $810 million of payments for benefits associated with someone who is incarcerated. So that was another significant problem that we had in California. That just seems to add insult to injury, right? You got people that are incarcerated that are actually doing the fraud while in jail. Um, it's just... Yeah, pretty amazing. Anyway, your report also states that, quote, EDD had, uh, has relied on uninformed and disjointed techniques to prevent impost, uh, imposter fraud. Um, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Right. And some of the situations where the cross-matching uh, occurred and the suspicious addresses where there are multiple envelopes going to an address, well, some of those individuals, unfortunately, probably had their identity stolen. Uh, we identified about 70,000 complaints coming into EDD. In the, in the last nine months of 2020. Typically in an entire calendar year, ED gets about 6,000 complaints of identity theft. Where we're saying there's a fragmented process, EDD has a variety of different units within the department that some identify potential fraud, but they have to notify another unit to stop payment on that claim. There is not a unified coordinated approach within the department to make sure that if one unit is identifying suspicious claims, another unit is well aware that we need to suspend those payments, stop paying on those particular benefits. It's very, very convoluted and disjointed, and they need to have a structured approach to fraud prevention and detection. So what are some of your recommendations to uh, come overcome, address some of these shortcomings? 
Well, first recommendation related to cross-matching. I mean, they do have a contract in place now, but what we recommended to the legislature is to require EDD to have a standard process for cross-matching, regardless of, you know, someday, hopefully, we're going to get out of this pandemic. But of course, we're going to run into recessions in the future, and there will be surges of claims. EDD should consistently, regardless of the environment, uh, be cross-matching against incarceration data. They should be reporting that information to the legislature and to the public. Um, in addition, uh, any benefits that they're working with EDD, they've got to come up with a comprehensive list. How many accounts have been frozen? How many remain frozen? How are we going to approach unfreezing those accounts and getting those benefits out to the legitimate claimants? Um, and then the last key, key recommendation, we have a variety of recommendations, is they need to strengthen their fraud prevention and detection efforts. And that starts with having one group within EDD that's responsible for all of the coordination among the various units. So just a, just a, a snapshot of a few of the recommendations. We have several in, in the two reports we issued. Right. Well, I want to thank the state auditor, Lane Halford, for joining us. Because federal money helps pay for the state's unemployment compensation program, Washington can have a strong role in how the system works. State officials are saying that the Trump administration is partly to blame for the widespread fraud that has shaken the state's unemployment compensation system. Who's really to blame? Our guest is David Lightman, a national political correspondent for McClatchy Newspapers. He's joining us from Washington, D.C., and he's done a fact check on the issue. He's here to tell us the answer. Welcome to the Matty Report. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So California Labor Secretary Julie Sue has maintained that the Trump administration, quote, did not provide adequate guidance or information to protect against fraudulent uh, rings uh, state by state, unquote. On the other hand, California State Auditor Elaine Howe, uh, who we just spoke with, has said that uh, the Federal Labor Department, quote, advised states about how to determine whether an individual was able and available for work in light of the pandemic, unquote. So who's to blame? The issue is involves the pandemic unemployment assistance money that's the federal program that covers self-employed people gig workers and so forth that began on march 20 or was approved on march 27th roughly six weeks later the federal government sent out a detailed memo advisory to state agencies such as the california employment uh, development department which manages the unemployment insurance program it warned about potential fraud. It warned about potential problems. Did it specify that there could be organized criminal rings operating internationally? No, but it did warn. So the auditor here is correct. Months later, it continued to issue advisories. Now, did it warn about the scope of the fraud? No. Uh, should it have? I'll leave that to you know the political debate. Um, so in that sense, uh, Sue was correct in that nobody warned them of the scope of this. Uh, but to say that somehow the Trump administration dropped the ball, that's a tougher one. Yeah, I'm just you know, wondering, though, given the, the scale of, of what's going on here, how did these the billions of dollars we're talking about, how did the, the states not see this program was going to be a prime target for fraud? Yeah, especially when, uh, again, the auditors said they weren't really checking eligibility that carefully. Uh, they wanted to get the money out the door because, after all, we were in the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression. Uh, but again, nobody saw the scope of this. Nobody saw the tens of billions of dollars um, 
it wasn't until really early summer, I believe, that uh, federal officials, state officials started to notice, hey, something's really going awry here. You know, it's 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 interesting too. I think one of the things that that I saw in your fact check was you, you noted that uh, technology was a problem here. That a lot of these state systems, California, maybe a prime example, they're a little behind the curve when it comes to technology uh, and using technology to make sure you have an efficient and effective unemployment compensation system. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and in fact, we went back. Uh, my colleague Wes Venteicher and I went back years and years uh, go you can look at audits and they're all online back to 2011 2009 that said you got to beef up this technology system you're not ready for the next recession and somehow it they kept sort of i don't want to say fumbling but it never quite got up to where it was the other issue involves cross-checking uh claims against social security numbers california was one of 15 states that didn't do that and that hurt as well. So it never quite it never quite gelled, according to the auditor. So, you know, OK, now they're aware of the problem. Um, and I'm just wondering, have USDOL, U.S. Department of Labor and the California EDD fixed the problem? So they've eliminated have they eliminated the fraud and made sure that legitimate claims are being paid? We just, well, we don't know if they've eliminated the fraud, but certainly they've taken strong steps to do so. The new director, Rita Sines, has is following the auditor's recommendations. The auditor still had some uh, comments about uh, the pace of this, but it appears they're on track. Uh, they've been briefing us, they being EDD, every two weeks, kept us up to date. Uh, we'll just have to see. Yeah, well, well, hopefully, given the scope of the problem, hopefully they have. I want to thank our guest, David Lightman from McClatchy Newspapers for joining us. Up next, we're going to talk about the political fallout. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. On. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. So what's the political fallout at the state capitol with the EDD scandal? Um, let's ask two of the most knowledgeable observers of state politics that we know. John Myers, the Sacramento Bureau Chief for the LA Times, and Dan Walters, the well-read columnist for Cal Matters. Uh, welcome back to the Matter Report, guys. Thank you. So, uh, so Thank Dan, you. let me ask you, um, the uh, problems that have been coming up with the EDD, you know, late claims, massive fraud, uh, it's obviously going to have some impact on Governor Newsom. I'm um, just wondering, is it going to have a big impact in this possible recall or in the 2022 uh, re-election? Or is really how he handles the COVID pandemic generally and school reopening specifically going to be more important? Well, I think EDD takes place along with several other uh, pandemic-related issues. The general management of the thing in terms of opening and closing businesses and that sort of thing. Uh, the vaccine opening schools. Nobody knows when they're going to reopen, and and the parents that they're anxious to have their kids go back to school. Uh, some of them are quite angry, and it could play into the uh, recall movement as well. So it's a combination of things, all related to the pandemic, of which EDD certainly is one, since it directly affects millions of Californians, and indirectly even tens of millions, perhaps. Yeah, I, I want to ask John, you know, uh, Dan wrote an, an article recently, a uh, column, we referred to it as a uh, bureaucratic Chernobyl. I thought that was kind of an interesting phraseology. Um, so, so, John, let me ask you, um, what, do you what do you see in terms of the uh, this EDD problem? Is it going to be a big problem for him? Is it really kind of a minor problem? It's really going to be how he handles the pandemic. It's really going to affect either the recall or uh, the 2022 election. I, it's all of the above, Mark. I mean, it's it's a big soup, 
I would call it, of things that the governor has to, to deal with. I mean, EDD is kind of an interesting story. We could spend a long time talking about that because there's a systematic problem at EDD. It's a, it's a computer system that is archaic. It's um, the, the bureaucracy elements that Dan had talked about, and it's not the only state agency like that. And the things that the Newsom administration did to try to speed those checks up, like, um, you know, saying we don't have to do all the uh, the background information on these people, came back and bit them in the backside, of course, because we had the fraud issues there. But I think getting out of that is going to be a challenge. And also the investigation about the fraud is going to be the gift that keeps on giving to Newsom's opponents. And then, yes, vaccination rollout, how he manages that, what happens on schools, uh, all of this about combined is a is a big toxic soup, I think, for Team Gavin Newsom. And, and it's going to be an interesting few weeks to see how they uh, how they handle this. And then, of course, into the into the spring and summer uh, remains to be seen. Well, John, you know, this is going to be, you know, they're talking about it's an $11 billion scandal, um, you know, with these fraudulent claims. Do you get the sense, though, that this is going to be, this is going to have legs? Or is this going to be just another example of, you know, mismanagement is going to be forgotten uh, by the by the collective, you know, public? I don't think it's forgotten. And I think for part of the reason that I said just a moment ago, too, kind of to, to find point on it, Mark, the investigation of the fraud, the uh, frustration with the fraud, the demands from some Republicans in Washington and around the state that uh, California is going to have to repay that money somehow, uh, because, of course, there's this combination of from the federal government sometimes when you need them in the unemployment insurance fund. This is a drip, drip, drip. We see this in politics all the time. This is going to be a tough one. And I think, you know, the governor has got to. Um, He's got new leadership at the EDD. He's going to have to pick a new leader of the state labor and workforce agency because Julie Sue, his secretary, has now been appointed to a job in the Biden administration. This is going to keep playing out and it's going to be playing out at the same time as all those other issues. So I think it has legs in the sense that people are going to find out more about what has really been going on at EDD. And the longer that goes, I think the tougher it's going to be for the governor. So, Dan, we've got about 30 seconds left in the segment. Drip, drip, drip. Yeah, I'm going to keep on going. Even under the best of circumstances, millions of Californians are going to be dependent on these EDD payments. And they, they as they become more and more frustrated with the backlog of claims and everything, this thing is going to roll on for months, uh, easily months. Uh, this is a very big thing, and it's very, very important to the people who are supposed to be getting these payments and their families. So stay tuned, um, I guess, we're going to hear on this topic. I want to thank our guest, California State Auditor Elaine Howe. Dave Lightman with McClatchy Newspapers, Dan Walters with Cal Matters, and John Myers with the LA Times. Up next, workers' compensation has a noble purpose, to provide a benefit to injured workers to help them get back on their feet. However, because of its size and complexity, the state's $25 billion workers' compensation system creates ample opportunity for fraud. Estimates are in the range of $1 to $3 billion a year. Recently, the Office of the State Auditor examined what can be done to better detect fraudulent claims. California State Auditor Elaine Howe is here to discuss the findings. Welcome to the Matt Report. Thank you. So can you briefly describe workers' compensation? Uh, what is it? How does it work? Sure. As you, as you indicated in your opening, um, workers' compensation is a system in California that provides benefits to employees who may be either injured or disabled on, on the job so that they can get the appropriate medical benefits, um, income uh, payments while they may be disabled or away from work, but it's a system that employers pay into, they get insurance, and that 
prevents the employers or, or protects them a bit from being sued by the employees. So it gives the employees the benefit of medical services if they are injured, income while they're off the job, but also protects employers from being sued by those employees. And it's a pretty big system. I mean, I was looking at your report. You, you cited 15.6 million employees are covered by the mm -hmm. system, 936,000 employers are covered right. by the system. 607,000 accidents and, uh, and injuries and illnesses a year. It's, it's, it's a pretty big system. Very big system. So, so the idea is it's a no-fault insurance system right. funded by employers right. uh, to cover workplace injuries. They call it, it's the exclusive remedy for uh, workplace injuries. So I assume then the employer's insurance rates are based on how many injuries there are in the workplace. Um, and so more injuries result in higher premiums. Mm -hmm. So how much does this cost then in California employers? Well, as you indicated, uh, on a yearly basis, the system is about $25 billion. And you're right, an employer, depending upon the type of employment, so a roofer, for example, uh, employing individuals going up on a roof, it's higher risk right. than uh, someone working in an accounting pool. So the rate, there's a rating bureau that establishes the rates based on the type of work, but also the extent of the number of injuries that a particular employer may have with their employees. And I'm sure that's so kind of baked into change. the... So it's baked into the, the cost for roofing, for example. They put that into the cost of, of roofing. Correct. By the way, a bad idea to hire you know, a, a roofer that's not covered by workers' compensation, because then you're going to be individually responsible if they get injured. Right. Um, so state agencies. There's a number of state agencies that administer the workers' comp system. Briefly, mm -hmm. who are they? What are they? Sure. There, there's two primary agencies, Department of Industrial Relations, and that's the entity that's responsible for really managing managing workers' compensation claims. They also assist with some of the investigative work that's done. Department of Insurance, of course, is our state entity that licenses insurers, so they're making sure that insurers stay solvent, et cetera, and those insurers that cover compensation, you know, workers' compensation or any type of insurance. But also the Department of Insurance has an important role in investigating potential fraudulent uh, claims or uh, by employees, employers, providers, etc. So they do much of the investigative work. There's also work that's done at the local level by DAs. The primary state agencies, though, are the Department of Insurance and the Department of Industrial Relations. You also something about a rating bureau, which is a private entity that, that establishes pure premium rates. I guess those are the benchmarks. That, that are based, that, that, that workers' compensation rates are based on, their recommendations to the insurance commissioner. That's correct. So this okay. rating bureau, absolutely, as you indicated, we talked about just a few minutes ago, is depending on the type of employer right. and the number of claims that they may have, the number of injuries their employees have suffered, that affects the rates. And this rating bureau is basically a nonprofit, as you indicated, that determines what the rates will be for the different types of insurance for different types so lots, of employers. Lots, lots, lots of players. Then we also mm -hmm. have on the other side, we've got the insurance companies and the service providers. So what do insurance companies, mm -hmm. what role do they play and what role do, do service providers play in the process? Well, certainly insurance companies are providing the insurance, uh, the workers' compensation insurance for the employers, okay. but they also have a role in, in trying to identify potential fraud. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, about where they're required by state law to have some investigative units in their companies to try to identify potential right. fraud. Um, the service providers are medical professionals, other types of providers assisting employees in filing complaint claims for workers' compensation insurance. That would include like rehabilitation uh, sure. services, those kinds of things? Right. Okay. Right. So the focus uh, <clears throat> on, your, on your report is workers' compensation fraud. How mm -hmm. big a problem is it? 
Uh, workers' comp fraud is a significant problem in California. It's one to three. The, the estimates out there are between one and three billion dollars a year in fraudulent claims. Uh, so this is certainly an issue that the state needs to pay attention to and needs to do everything it can to try to prevent, first of all, but it certainly detect and prosecute uh, fraudulent claims of, of workers' compensation. And I think in, in your report it says that four to 12 percent of the system's costs were were fraud related, and then employers are likely to pass this on. You also indicate, it's talked about something called chargeable fraud. Correct. Um, and, and I mm -hmm. guess that's fraud that you can actually mm -hmm. prosecute and win. Mm -hmm. uh, and those numbers are, I think you said, $970 million. Uh, these are ones we think you know, we're going to win these claims, uh, so, so pretty right. significant. And right. they also talked about the increase in workers' comp uh, fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, growing at a rate of 525%. Uh, well, that's specifically for, so what you're speaking about is chargeable fraud, and that's what local district attorneys feel very confident that they would get a conviction. Uh, the 525% increase is that chargeable fraud, but specifically for providers. That is the biggest area where we have seen an increase from, and we looked at a three-year window. So from year one to year three, it increased from about $130 million to over $800 wow. million in chargeable fraud. So this is fraud. Local DAs feel very confident they can convict. Wow, uh, pretty interesting. So up next, we're going to talk about why is it so difficult to, uh, to uncover workers' compensation fraud. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe about combating fraud in the workers' compensation system. So what are the different types of fraud? Sure, there's four, four primary types of fraud. The employee fraudulently claiming they are injured or they, are, they still need to stay off the job. Employers uh, fraudulently uh, not necessarily ensuring that their employees are getting the coverage or they on, need. Or, or, or saying that one person really is, you know, a roofer is really on clerical staff and That's so right. get lower rates. Right, misclassifying okay. employees. Then insurance, insurance companies. Insurance companies, um, as far as issuing uh, policies that they are not intending to yeah. support. Like there's no there there. No, yeah, it, it, right. Certificate of insurance, exactly. but really, really nothing there. And then exactly. service providers, which you're really concerned about. Service providers is the biggest area of fraud that we've seen where there's a huge increase. And this is medical providers, attorneys, other individuals, uh, part of the process in assisting employees when they file a claim. Yeah, billing for things maybe that aren't, services that aren't being conducted, being Correct. done. Correct. Um, so you, you indicate the state has uh, different ways to combat workers' compensation fraud. There are four different categories. One is prevention. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So the second is detection. The third is investigations. The fourth is prosecution. Any comments you want to make on those? Sure. Prevention is trying to identify um, and, and provide outreach education to employees uh, as far as their employer potentially fraudulently claiming they're, they're a clerical person as opposed to a roofer. And then doing, we're expecting the Department of Industrial Relations, our state agency, to really do some analytics, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, as far as doing analyses to try to identify potential fraud to hopefully prevent it in the future. Investigation is critically important. That should happen at the state level, but certainly at the local level by the DAs. And then prosecution, of is course, the is the DAs. Uh, and that's important to hold people accountable. I, I actually uh, mediated a case once, and I was telling the, the charging party, I explained to them that I thought there was a potential of workers' compensation fraud, and I explained it was a felony. His eyes got as wide as saucers. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. People don't know that you can do a lot of trouble for filing a fraudulent claim. That's correct. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so in your report, um, 
one of the problems you talk about in terms of detecting workers' comp fraud are this thing called referrals or the lack of right. referrals. Right. What, did, what did you find? So what state law requires is an insurance company to have what's called a special investigative unit. So any insurance company that is offering insurance comp workers' compensation uh, insurance needs to, to be doing these types of analytics. And then if they see something that is potentially fraud, they are required to refer that to the state of California through the Department of Insurance and to the local DA. But there's a lot of them that aren't doing referrals. Right. So what we did is we did an analysis of the top 21 insurers. So they have the highest amount volume of insurance premiums. Mm -hmm. They're providing insurance. And we looked at a three-year window, and some of those insurers, the biggest, had referred one, in many cases, zero, zero referrals. I did the math on this. When I was looking at your numbers, 40, almost 40% 40 of eight out right. of the 21 did not make referrals. Exactly, and it's just not reasonable for one of the largest insurers to not see any kind of, of uh, circumstance that looks like potential fraud. So we really raised a, a red flag there, not only with the insurance companies, but the Department of Insurance has a role in looking and auditing insurers. And so we said, are you doing this kind of analysis to see, well, you're a huge insurer in California. How could you have zero referrals yeah, and it, to it us? I think the insurance company would want to ferret out the fraud, but apparently 40% uh, is the number is the number. Let's go on to data, data analytics. We talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you think that's a really good way maybe to kind of help solve this problem. Uh, you found that the Department of Industrial Relations is uh, not really using data analytics like it maybe should. What's the problem? Right. I mean, clearly big data, data analysis is really important, can be a very power powerful tool. And it's something that was identified years ago as a tool that, that industrial relations should be using as far as two aspects, detection, uh, both, both um, looking back and then predictive. So using the analysis that you've done of past fraudulent claims, looking to see other certain indicators here, let's apply that to, to the current data we have to try to predict potential right. fraud. Trends. So the Department of Industrial Relations should be doing that and assisting the Department of Insurance in, in identifying, again, similar to what insurance companies should be doing, our state agencies should be collaborating to try to identify potential fraud and then hopefully investigate it and okay, prosecute. So dropping the ball maybe on both ends. Okay, the last thing you do talk about here is is this uh, explanation of benefit statements to injured right. employees. Injured employees send a statement saying, here's what we took care of. You think giving that to employees is a good idea to kind of ferret out fraud? Absolutely, and we saw uh, the state of California does it for disability insurance. Uh, this, the National Medicare program uses explanation of benefits. We think this could be an additional tool that the state could use. So if I'm an injured worker and I get that explanation of benefits and I see, well, I was, uh, I, I, my, my employer is being charged for an MRI. Well, uh, I, I never had an MRI, yeah, right. so it's another resource that the state could use. We think it's a very important tool uh, to add to the toolbox for uh, our an state. Another, another check. Well, up next, we're going to talk about investigating the investigations of workers' comp fraud. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Elaine Howe, California State Auditor, about a recent report her office did on ways the state can reduce workers' compensation fraud. One of the major shortcomings you found was the lack of investigators. How mm -hmm. short-staffed mm -hmm. are they? Well, as of February, uh, the Department of Insurance we're talking about because they conduct these investigations, mm -hmm. they had about a 27% vacancy rate. And we looked at about a three-year window looking back to see how many staff were they losing. And they lost a significant number of employees to other state agencies, but it really weakened the ability for the Department of Insurance to do investigations. In fact, in many cases, they closed a referral. They didn't even investigate yeah, I, I, it because they didn't have the staff to yeah, do it. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about that. So if you're not investigating these complaints, are people getting away with fraud? 
That's absolutely uh, true. And what did your what did your numbers find in terms of fraud? Uh, well, yeah, were the numbers big? The numbers were big as far as the, the first of all, there were fewer referrals coming in, right. but the Department of Insurance was having to close more and more cases, more of those referrals, because they just had insufficient resources. I don't, I mean, you might have to help yeah, me with I mean, the specifics. Yeah, I mean, there was like $180 million, I'm sorry, $160 million mm -hmm. on average, and the average referral that they weren't getting and, and, and prosecuting or investigating was 18900 Then right. what I thought was really interesting in your report was mm -hmm. employee fraud, um, they're saying that subset would be $66.8 million uh, right. in investigations they're not doing. That's an average of 9800 This is big mm. money. It's right? big money. And yes. then what I found was really interesting was provider fraud, mm -hmm. uh, which you were talking about, service provider. There the numbers are a little smaller. It's only about 8% of the total. But the, their total is $48 million. The average is $71,800 right. Right. for and a lost ref referral that's not being investigated. Right, and that's where we think they money. should, they, absolutely big money, and they should target their efforts. If you're seeing such a huge increase in provider fraud, again, the DAs feel that it's chargeable, then let's focus our efforts there. But right. unfortunately, Department of Insurance, over the three years we looked at, they were closing about 28% of their cases because they didn't have resources. Over that three-year window, that doubled to about 54% of their cases. So they need more investigators. So they need to do something to get more staff in their department to stay there. It's almost like a classic example of pennywise and pound foolish in a way, right? So mm -hmm. why, if staffing's the issue, why don't we just, the state just give the, the the Department of uh, Insurance, just more money. Just get more money, hire more staff. Well, and that was part of it. Part of it was they, they did an analysis, and we looked at their analysis, where their investigators were making less money than investigators at Department of Justice, at Department of Corrections. That's where they lost a lot of their staff. But that's, that's not the only thing that they need to do. We felt they needed to understand why are some of those employees leaving. It's not just because of money. Is it because of job satisfaction? Mm -hmm. Some of the employees at left felt they didn't have the tools, resources, training to do their jobs and to do them well. Now, one thing you also talked about, maybe a better way to be more efficient with the limited resources the state has, is this thing called vertical prosecution. Right. Uh, what do you mean by that? How would it work? Vertical prosecution is something that's been very successful in uh, a lot of different investigative scenarios. But certainly in this, it's where an investigator is working very closely with the DA, the individual who's going to prosecute the case, so that when the investigator is collecting the evidence and doing the analysis, doing the actual investigation, he or she is collaborating with that DA to make sure I'm getting every Everything that you need to be able to successfully prosecute, much more efficient. Yeah, the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, right? right. It's not duplication of effort. So you know, you, one of the things you flagged in, in your report was that the, the California Department of Insurance lacks a plan to recruit and retain investigators. Right. Uh, what are kind of the things you'd like to see? You talked about the money. They're, they're paid quite a bit less. Right. As opposed to if you're an investigator for the Department of Justice or something, you're paid quite a bit more. Right. And they did, they did address the salary issue. They actually worked with our California Human Resources Agency that's responsible for salaries. And they did get a bump in their salaries. But we said, you need a retention plan. You need to understand why these employees are leaving above and beyond just money. And, and also broaden your recruiting. Um, one of the things that they don't do and that we think they should do is recruit, recruit retired law enforcement because right. they have the skill set to be able to assist in conducting investigations. And at a recent legislative hearing, I talked about, well, you want to bring in junior people, people coming out of school with a criminal justice major, but let's bring in some retired law enforcement to work with them yeah, and train mentor. them. And then you have your succession plan in place. Okay. Well, up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about how do you solve the workers' comp fraud situation in California. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report.
Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. So what are the things that can be done to reduce workers' comp fraud? Our guest is the state auditor, Elaine Howe, has some recommendations in that regard. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you're concerned about, we talked about earlier, is this issue of referrals. Right. Uh, the California Department of Insurance does not currently screen uh, for referral rates. So what would you like to see done? Uh, a couple of things. We had two key recommendations related to this, and, it w and uh, one of the graphics in our report really helped depict what we think would be beneficial. So put a scorecard essentially up on the website. Here are the top 21 insurers in workers' compensation, and here are the number of referrals they've submitted to us, the Department of Insurance, in the last three years or two years or whatever time frame you select. Then you're really going to identify and put out there publicly, here are these insurers who are generating a significant amount of insurance premium and they're profiting from that but, the significance but they're not of that, referring. Right, but the significance of that if I'm an employer is if, if I know my insurance company is not going after fraud, it means they're paying out on claims they shouldn't be, which means my rates are going to be higher. Exactly. So that puts exactly. some pressure on the insurance company to really be aggressive about Right, this. because right now, as you indicated a few minutes ago when we were talking, insur insurance companies can just pass the cost on to right. the employer. The rates go up for the employers. So which there really is a lot, lot to the consumer. To the consumer, absolutely. Right. So the other thing we suggested the Department of Insurance needs to do is to target some of those insurers for audit to go in and say, you've only referred three claims in the last two years. We don't think that's reasonable based and, on the size of your premium. And the low you know. referral rate probably puts you on top of the top of the scale in terms of exactly. priority. Exactly. Getting audited. Right. Um, the other thing you're talking about was um, mm. unspent funds, using that money to really augment district mm -hmm. attorney's office as opposed to just giving the money back to employers uh, in subsequent years. What are your thoughts there? Right. So the thoughts there are there's a there's a formula as far as 40% of the fraud assessment goes to the Department of Insurance mm -hmm. to administer, 40% goes to DAs, and then there's 20% that's flexible. Typically, that's been going to the DAs. But because of the number of vacancies that insurance has had in the past, they haven't spent all their money. Well, rather than give that money to the DAs to assist them in additional prosecution, they have basically reduced mm -hmm. the rates in the future. But if you want to combat fraud, let's get that money to the DAs who have demonstrated that they could use more funding. So we need to see some uh, changes in how the, the funding is provided at the state level and certainly at the local level. Yeah, that 20% discretionary is you actually more to the DAs. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing your report recommends is that the Department of Industrial Relations use that data analytics we were talking about to identify service provider fraud. Mm -hmm. um, Fine, but they've been talking about this for some time. What, right. You have confidence they're going to actually get this done? Right, and and well, well, we're pressing them. Okay. I mean, and that's part of what the report and the recommendations is. You know, this is something that you identified several years ago. You're just starting to get rolling on this, mm -hmm. but they really haven't developed a strong methodology, metrics, the types of things, methodology that they're going to use to to create these analytics, both descriptive, as I talked about earlier, to identify past practices, but also predictive. So we really want to put the pressure on industrial relations to do a better job and get really moving on these analytics, because you've known it's a beneficial tool and, and you should have had it in place long yeah, before I'm guessing when, when the Chamber of Commerce or the National Federation of Independent mm -hmm. Businesses sees your report and realizes mm -hmm. it's impacting their members, they're probably going to be knocking on someone's door and saying, you guys got to pick up the pace here. Right. Um, okay, you also talk about enlisting injured employees in uh, the battle to combat workers' comp fraud by mm -hmm. having them review these uh, benefit statements for overcharge, right. things of that nature. Any proof that this is actually going to reduce workers' comp fraud? Well, we've seen, we looked at, as I said, disability insurance in California requires EOBs. The Medicare system submits EOBs, these explanation of benefits to their uh, 
individuals who receive Medicare. Um, and it's been successful it, as far as individuals saying, yes, I look at that particular, that EOB as it's referred to, and I will report something that I think might be fraudulent um, because I have a duty to do so. The pushback we've received from the department and some of the insurers is, oh, it's going to be expensive to right. do. So we talked to some private sector, Disney. They send out EOBs that cost them 50 cents per EOB. And what we're suggesting is do it periodically, perhaps on a quarterly basis. You don't have to send it out every single month or every right. single time an employee receives a benefit, but at least at some periodic time. And those employees, again, will serve as a tool uh, to strengthen our, our you know, enforcement and, and preventative measures uh, with respect to fraud. Yeah, it was interesting, just specifically, you, you looked at a 1998 report by the Office of Inspector General at mm -hmm. Medicare, just to prove your kind of reiterate right. your point. Mm -hmm. They found that 74% of Medicare beneficiaries right. said they would always read their EOB statements, and another 89% said that if they saw fraud, they'd they report would it. They report it, that's correct. Um, and so you're, you're talking about, you know, if cost is an issue, there's a way to reduce it by not doing it as frequently and et cetera. Right. And right. there's some examples in the private sector. Absolutely. Okay, yes. well, I mm -hmm. want to thank the state auditor. Uh, uh, Elaine Howell for joining us to talk about this important uh, issue of workers' comp fraud. If you want to stay current on state and local politics, you can follow the Maddie Institute on Facebook, Twitter, or log on to our website at maddieinstitute.com. This is Mark Kepler for the Maddie Institute. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Maddie Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.